for God's house. God's dream for God's house. As I stated earlier, these past few Sundays, we've been looking at your dream from a few different angles. We looked at your dream for your family. We looked at your dream for spiritual growth. We looked at not quitting on your dreams. We looked at not missing out on the opportunities that God has presented and will present for us in 2019. And I believe that it only makes sense that as we launch this year thinking about the the dreams that God has given to us, that we would not miss out on God's dream. God's dream for us, and most importantly, God's dream for this house here. Because I believe as you read throughout Scripture, we can find and we can hear or even sense or feel God's heart that's being relayed, that's being uh, articulated throughout the Bible. And I believe that In the book of Exodus, that's where we find that God is articulating his dream. That's where we find that God is articulating his heart, his passion, and his desire for us. I believe that it's in the book of Exodus that God begins to share his heart with a nation. The reason why I believe that it starts with Exodus is because in the book of Genesis, God starts with a man. He starts with a man through Noah. And through Noah, he finds a man named Abraham. And he gives Abraham this promise that I'm going to make you a father of this great nation. And from Abraham, we get Isaac. And from Isaac, we get Jacob. Jacob eventually changes his name to Israel, where he now then has 12 sons. And one of the sons, which we spoke about two weeks ago, is Joseph. Where as we learned two weeks ago, God sent Joseph into Egypt to preserve his family during a season of famine that they will be entering in. And by this time, subsequently, Joseph becomes a prince in Egypt. Joseph's family then travels from Canaan to Egypt. And his family of 70, by the time they get into Egypt after several years, they now become a family of millions. So here it is. From Abraham, they go from one man to a family and now to a nation of millions. This is the same thing that happened to Jesus. Jesus comes and through Jesus, through his sacrifice of one man, salvation is now given to the world, to millions of people. So in the book of Exodus, when the family has now grown to a nation of millions, God begins to articulate. Let me tell you why I've done what I've done from Noah to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, and ultimately through Joseph. This, I believe, in the book of Exodus, God begins to share his heart. He begins to share his dream as he pulls the nation of Israel together right here in the book of Exodus. Now, if you've been attending our church for a while, you might already be aware that we are in the process of relaunching our church. If you are new here this morning, I want to tell you welcome once again. But also, you are welcome to join in this exciting journey that we are on in birthing a life-giving church right here in Miami. Now, truth be told, we're not looking to copy any other church. We're not looking to imitate any other church that's in this area of Miami. So there are some things that we will do that are different. There are some things that we've changed that many people are not used to. But what I really want each and every single one of us to know is that our ultimate desire is that we will align ourselves as a church to God's heart for this house, God's dream for this house. So there will be some things that are different from other churches in the area. There will be some things that you have never done before that you are seeing being done here. But there are some things that we are doing intentionally because we believe that God has a dream for this house. So we are going to align ourselves, we are going to structure ourselves in such a way that the heartbeat of God. And so this morning, as we talk about God's dream, God's heart for this house, I want to take a look. How has God allowed us to structure and to do certain things here at this church? If you could open up your Bibles with me or you can look at mine's. Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 to 7. Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 to 7. 
And it reads, Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless this reading of scripture. You bless our time here this morning as we dive into your word, understanding your dream for this house, your heartbeat for this house. As we launch into this year of 2019, as we begin to magnify what is it that you're doing right here at Christ Community Church. Father, I pray that this morning we would embrace not only the dream that you have for this house, but the dream that you have for each and every single one of us personally. Father, we say thank you. Thank you for sending your son who has made all of this possible. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. In this passage, I believe this is where God begins to articulate his dream or his heart. I believe it revolves around these five I will statements. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. So it's within this passage that we find God's heart, God's dream, and also subsequently the structure for our church and how we are building our church and the things that we are doing here at Christ Community Church. The first thing that we see here, God says, I will bring you out. I will bring you out. Right here, God is talking about salvation. Salvation comes to us by knowing God. Someone say, no God. Come on, someone say, no God. God wants us to know him. You see, when God says this through Moses to the nation of Israel, they are in bondage and they are slaves under the hands of the Egyptians. So God is saying, I want you out. I don't want you to be oppressed. I don't want you to be a slave to anyone. I don't want you to be a slave to anything. And this is what Jesus came to do for each and every single one of us. He came to give us a way out from what we've been bound to. Came to give us a way out from what we've been oppressed by. I was having a conversation with someone a few weeks ago, and they were telling me with very much excitement how much God has been doing in their lives. The different things that God has been doing um, in their lives, from where God brought them from to where they are now. They were so overwhelmed, they said, Pastor, 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 if you knew what God has been doing for me, if you knew what God has brought me from, if you knew how God has changed my life, if you only knew I was celebrating, I was, I was excited with them, but at the same time, in the back of my mind, I was thinking, technically, I don't necessarily need to know where you used to be. I don't necessarily need to know what God has done in your life specifically, because I know that where I am today, if I'm here, it's as a result of the same God that brought you out, also brought me out the same God that worked it out in your favor also worked it out in my favor. If I am here today, it's not by my own efforts, my own strength, but it's simply by the grace of God that pulled me from where I was to where I am right now. You see, I, I want us to understand the first part about God's dream, about God's heart. God says, I don't want you to be enslaved to sin. I don't want you to be enslaved to your flesh. I don't want you to be enslaved by any junk. God says, I literally want to bring you out. As a matter of fact, even today when God looks down from heaven, he sees many people who are enslaved to sin, who are enslaved to the stuff of this world. And he desperately wants to reach down from heaven to pull us out from the very thing that we are in. Which is why 
the longest beam of the cross is the vertical beam because that's God showing us that he's reaching out from heaven, pulling us out how far we can be, how deep we can be. God just wants to pull someone out from where they are, from what they've been stuck in, from what they've been enslaved to. But I want us to understand that when God says he wants to bring you out, he's not talking about bring you out, out from outside into a church, bring you out into the roster of a church somewhere. Because for a lot of us, we're like, you know, I'm a member of my mother's church. Or, you know, I've been attending CCC for the last 15, 20 years. Or, you know what, I, I go to church occasionally. And for many of us, that's, that suffice. That checks the box of our relationship with God. As long as I come maybe once a month, as long as I come maybe once every two months, so my relationship with God, check, is on point. But when God says he wants to bring you out, it's not necessarily of what you have to do, but it's what he has already done for you. You see, he's not talking about religion. He's not talking about a routine that you're going through. But when he says he wants you out, he wants you out to have a relationship with him. Because understand this, as a matter of fact, when Moses goes to Pharaoh, he says, God wants his people. Pharaoh says, why? Moses never said that it's because there's a promised land. Because understand, the promised land, it's a result of a relationship. It's the benefit of a relationship. The promised land, we could consider it to be the honeymoon. But God, all he wanted was for them to come out of Egypt to worship him. God wanted his people to know him, to have a real, vivid, vibrant relationship with him. Not one that was stagnant, a routine, just a religion that you observe. God says, I want a relationship. I want us to take a look at Mark chapter 1, verse 21. This is Jesus doing ministry, and I want us to notice what is happening here. Mark 1, verse 21 starts off. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, guess what? Where does Jesus go? Jesus goes to the synagogue. Jesus goes to the church. And he begins to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. The Bible places a, 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 a distinction between the two. Not as one who, of the law. J just then, a man in their synagogue, here it is, a faithful man attending church. He's attending church, and the Bible says he was possessed by an impure spirit. And the impure spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Let's jump down to verse 32. That evening, Jesus, that evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. Verse 34, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. Here it is, a man who was wrapped in religion. He was faithfully attending church, faithfully going to church, faithfully going to his family's church, but yet he was still bound. And Jesus has to go in the church to heal the man who was already in church. I don't know if you guys, you guys really caught what I said. Jesus had to enter into the church to heal a man who was already in the church. So the question I was asking myself is, what is it that Jesus has that the religious people don't have? A relationship. Because it's a relationship that changes everything. A relationship, that's what gives you the power. A relationship, that's what gives you the authority. A relationship, that's what provides the healing. It's a relationship, not your religious routine, not what you do every Sunday, not the fact that you open your Bible, but it's a vibrant relationship with the Father. 
Jesus, Jesus, Jesus has a relationship. And because Jesus has a relationship, the entire people in the community, they're like, wait, wait, wait a minute. There's something that he has that we don't have. And because they realize that there's something different with Jesus, they brought all their sick to him and Jesus healed them one by one. It's a relationship. See, I I want us to understand what the difference is. You see, religion doesn't have the power to heal. Religion doesn't have the power to save. Religion doesn't have the power to change. Religion doesn't have the power of life transformation. But a relationship with God can change any situation. A relationship with God can change your mindset. A relationship with God can change the, the position of your mind. A relationship with God. So God says, I don't want you to stay where you're at. I don't want you to stay in Egypt, but I want you to come out. I want you to come out so we can have a relationship. This is what God is asking Salvation leads us into a relationship with the Father. Take a look at Titus chapter 3, verse 3 to 8. Titus 3, 3 to 8. It reads, it wasn't so long ago that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn. This is the Bible, not me, the Bible. We were stupid and stubborn, dupes of sin, ordered eat ordered every which way by our glands, which means we just did whatever our flesh told us to do, whatever, wherever our flesh guided us, that's what we did. Going around with a chip on our shoulder, hated and hating back. But when God, our kind and loving Savior God, stepped in, he saved us from all of that. It was all his doing. We had nothing to do with it. He gave us a good bath, and we came out of it new people, washed inside and out by the Holy Spirit. Our Savior, Jesus, poured out new life so generously. God's gift has restored our what? Has restored our what? Restored our relationship with him and given us back our lives. And there's more life to come an eternity of life. You can count on this. Titus, Titus is saying the reason all of this happened, the reason all this change and transformation took place is because the relationship that we have with God, not the religion that you follow, the relationship that you have with God. God's heart and God's dream is to bring us out from where we are so that we can be saved and know him. And as we know him, we develop a vibrant relationship with him. Not just know about him, but know him intimately, know him personally. God wants to bring us out so that we can know him. The second part of God's dream and God's heart for this house, we find it still in the same passage, Exodus chapter 6. He says, I will free you. I will free you. In other words, what God is saying here, he's talking about deliverance. If you take in our next steps class, we, we normally call it find freedom. God wants us to find freedom. Someone say find freedom. Find freedom. I want us to make sure that we understand what I mean by deliverance because there's a lot of misconception around this idea of deliverance. For some people, they consider deliverance to be spooky. They consider deliverance is when your head is turning around all over your neck. They consider deliverance is when you're, um, when, when you're laying hands on someone, you're spitting on them, and you're saying, cast out the demon. That, 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 that's not deliverance. That's Hollywood. That's, that's Hollywood. But I want us to know this here, what God says. God first says, I will bring you out. He says, I will bring you out. Then he comes right back and says, I will free you. Think about that. Think about that. He says, I will bring you out. I will bring you out where you will no longer be slaves. And then he comes right back and say, I will free you? Does this logically make sense to you? Because I would think if he brings me out, then that means I'm free. It doesn't really make sense because if I'm out, I should be free. 
But what many of us fail to understand and fail to realize is that deliverance is for people who are still trapped in their old life. They're still trapped in their old ways and their old ways of doing things. Because even when God brings us out of some stuff, guess what? Some stuff still remain on the inside of us. Meaning you can be free and still be a slave. Because the stuff that you have been through, the stuff that you have gone through still remain as a residue on the inside of you. I came across this article the other day on USA Today. And it stated that over 76% of people who are released from prison within five years, five years, they end up going back to prison. Five years, end up going back, 76%. Why? Because even though they're free, even though they are released, the culture and the lifestyle of prison oftentimes still remains on the inside of them. And so here it is. They're free, but they're still functioning as though they're incarcerated. Now, I hope that we don't seek to pass any judgment on them because many of us, we still act the same way. We still habit, We still have the same habits. Because oftentimes God has brought us out of some stuff where we still behave like the stuff we came out of because it's still part of us. It's still attached to us. And this is what is happening here with the children of Israel. God brought them out of Egypt. They were no longer slaves, but they still fought like slaves. They still behaved like slaves. They still talked like slaves. And many of them even said, we want to go back. We want to go back to the place that you pulled us out of. I really hope that we we understand what's, what's happening here. God brought them out of Egypt, but Egypt was still on the inside of them. You see, and I believe that this is oftentimes the biggest struggle for many believers. Where I saw a stat where it said about 80 to 90% of believers get stuck right here. We're saved, but we're still struggling with our old life. And I also believe this is why some believers experience church hurt. This is why some believers get hurt by other believers. Some of you guys know my story. I grew up as a pastor's kid. And as a pastor's kid, you are exposed to a lot of information. You see a lot of things. You hear a lot of things. And when I began realizing what was happening to me, I began being very judgmental because I knew some individual's business. Uh, you can't be a real Christian. You're a deacon? Well, I'm going to tell God on you. How could you still preach on Sunday morning when I just heard what my dad was saying? I had this judgmental spirit. But I thank God that there was some deliverance. I thank God that I learned some things along the way that I didn't know before. Because the truth is, many, many individuals, they have this struggle. They love God. But there's this struggle with the old life. There's this struggle with their old ways. Let's take a look. Romans chapter 7, because Paul kind of touches on this. He says right here, Romans seven twenty five. So then, I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law. Paul is saying, I love the Lord. I'm committed to the Lord. And he continues, he says, but in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. He says, I'm, I'm, I'm for Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm committed to Jesus. But I still got this stuff in my life. I still got this issue. I still got this old life. I still got this thing I'm struggling with. And Paul continues in Romans 8.1, there is therefore no, no, no condemnation to them that are in, in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I praise God, even while I'm still struggling with my old life, I'm not condemned. 
Even though I'm still dealing with my stuff, there's still a grace that's over me. Even though I'm still messing with some things, there's still God's love that seems to overshadow my life. He says, there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Because of what? Through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit gives life and has set what? Has set you free from the law of sin and death. Paul says, you know what? I, 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 I get it now. Paul says, I understand what's happening now. I've got access to freedom through Jesus. Paul is saying, there's deliverance that's available if I commit myself to Jesus. If I allow myself to go under his gracious hand. Paul says, I understand. This is why I tend to be very leery of individuals who say, I don't know if you guys heard this phrase, if you guys say this in down here in Florida, I'm saved, but I'm not delivered. I'm saved, but I'm not delivered. My question to you is, why remain in that condition? Why not enjoy the freedom that has been bought for you? Why not experience the freedom that comes through Jesus Christ? Why remain struggling with what's going on in your past, allowing it to come into your present. Dive into the arms of God. Dive into his grace. Don't settle with being saved, but not delivered. There's more. There's more that is available to each and every single one of us. I want to help us understand the distinction here. Salvation. Salvation takes care of eternity. Salvation takes care of eternity, eternity, but deliverance or freedom, that determines the quality of life that you will live here on this earth. That's the, that determines the quality of life that you will enjoy. That determines the quality of life that is available to you. And the sad thing is so many of us, we're saved but we're living messy lives. We're saved, but the quality of our lives is not where it should be. We're saved, but the, but the life that we're living is not the life that Christ promised to us because we haven't found freedom. You're saved, but you need to find freedom for your marriage. You're saved, but you need, you need to find freedom for your finances. You're saved, but you need to find freedom for your identity. Finding freedom changes the quality of your life. My heart for each and every single one of us is that we would seek the freedom that is available to us. That we won't settle. That we won't be satisfied with just being saved. But that we would get to a point where Sunday morning is not enough. But I will seek the face of the Lord for the freedom that is available to me. So here it is. First of all, God says, I want to bring you out. That's salvation because he wants, to get to know, he wants us to know him. But it doesn't stop there. It continues. The next step is to find freedom where we are delivered and set free. But the third step, God's heart and God's dream and God's desire is that we would discover our purpose. Someone say, discover your purpose. Discover your purpose. This is why God says, I will bring you out. I will free you. And the next thing God says is, I will redeem. I will redeem you. I will restore you. As we're taught in our Next Steps class, this is discovering your purpose. The reason why I say this is because the word redeem, it literally means to restore to its original intent. God says, I want to restore you to the real reason of why I created you. I want to restore you so you can enjoy the life I intended for you. So when God says, I want to restore the Israelites, it's because they were making bricks out of straw for Pharaoh. God's like, I did not create you for that. That was not your intention. That, that was not my intention for you. 
I created you for more than that. There's a promise over this nation that started with Abraham. God said, there's more. God says, I have an original intent. I have a promise. I have an original design that I need you to capture. That's why I need to restore you. I believe this is a word for some people here this morning. Because many of us, we're still doing the same thing for a very long time. We've been doing it for months, for years. So for some of us, even decades. But you were never created to do it. That wasn't the original intent that God had in mind for you. That's not the original design. There's more. And God said, I want to redeem you from that. There's a quote that many individuals know where it says, two of the greatest days in your life is the day when you were born and the day that you discover why. The sad thing, so many of us, we fail to get to that point where we actually realize why. What is my purpose? Why was I created? Why did he create me? God, I believe, has a specific purpose for each and every single one of us. Let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Some of us will know it. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Long before your mom and dad were born, got together, thought about doing it, long before any of that, God had a purpose for you. God had an original intent for you. God's like, this is the season, this is the year, this is the month, this is the day, this is the time that they're going to be in. This is perfect for them, for the original intent that I have in mind for them. Life may not seem the way that you want it to seem. Things may not go the way that you want it to go. God already thought about that. He's like, I know they'll be able to go through this. Because I designed them for that. I created them for that. I already thought about that. God says, I have an original intent. Don't allow someone to look at you and be able to say, I know what your purpose is. You look like a doctor. You look like a lawyer. You look like a pastor. Don't let no one tell you. Because the only person that can tell you is God himself. That's why we discover it in our relationship with him. As you grow with him, you discover, oh, man, I didn't know you put this in me. I didn't know you put that in me because I'm growing with him and I know myself better. I learn about myself even more. The original intent. God says, I want to bring you out that salvation. He wants you to know him. God says, I want you to be free. He wants us to find freedom. That's deliverance. God says, I will redeem you. That's restoration because he wants us to discover our purpose. And the last part here of this dream and of, this, of God's heart, God says, I'll take you as my own people. I'll take you as my own people. And I believe that's fulfillment. That's when you really begin to make a difference. That's when your life begins to change, transform. Because understand this, real fulfillment, especially living down here in Miami, it's not about the cars. It's not about the cash. It's not about where you live. It's not about the clothes you have. Because I could lose all those things right now. If I know who I am, I could still be fulfilled. Real fulfillment is not found in stuff. Real fulfillment is when you know who you are, what you are called to do, and you are doing it. That's when fulfillment comes. Real fulfillment is when you do the things you were created to do. 
This is why you don't have to twist my arms to preach. You don't have to ask my wife twice about singing. Because we know this is what we were created to do. Take a look back at the passage in God's dream. God says, I will bring you out. I will free you from being slaves to that. I will redeem you. But here it is in the last portion of this dream. He says, you'll be my own people. You see, every part of this dream, except the last part, it's you, 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 you. But the last part of this dream is about what he wants to do in you so you can be a part of his own people. So that you can be a part of the group of people, the nation that he is bringing together. You see, at this moment, at this stage, when you finally arrive here, you realize it's not about you. It's about the people. It's about God's people. Because the greatest thing that God will ever do is not going, through, going to be done through an individual. It's going to be done through a group of people. That's why he cast a dream. He cast a vision to the nation. He gathers them together, and he says, this is my heart. This is my desire. This is what I want to see. This is what I want to do in your life. That's why one of the first things that God says to Adam is that you can't do everything on your own. I didn't call you to do it by yourself. It's not good for you to be alone. The greatest thing that God wants to do is going to be through you, but in a group of people. It's going to happen in a team. It has to happen in a team. This is why real fulfillment comes when you're doing the thing that you were created to do, not by yourself, but when you're on a team. You're on a team with a group of people. Psychologists have even agreed with this and come to the same conclusion by studying our needs as human beings. There's a man by Abraham Maslow who became very popular by, by um, creating the hierarchy of needs. I think I have it up here. Creating the hierarchy of needs. And what he revealed and uncovered was that the highest need of people was something called transcendence. Transcendence is all about living your life in such a way that you're making a difference in someone else's life. You're caring for someone. You're loving someone else other than yourself. Psychologists, they even drive this point even further. They say, we get out of bed with the need and the desire to shape, transform, or make someone else's life, make a difference out in the world. We want to do something. We want to be a part of what's happening. If it's going to change someone's life, do we have this innate desire? I want to be a part of that. This is the winning team. I want to be a part of that. This is the school that's going to get me to where I need to go. I want to be a part of that. We have this innate desire to go out and make a difference. So I was thinking... Do you feel like your life is boring? Do you feel like something's missing in your life? Do you feel like there's an emptiness or a void? Or do you feel like you're incomplete? If you feel like that, my next question to you is, who are you serving? Where are you making an impact in someone else's life? How are you feeling this need that God has intentionally placed on the inside of you and I to make an impact, to make a difference at your school, make a difference at your job, make a difference in your neighborhood? How are you impacting your neighbor? You feel like life is not going the way that you desire it to go? How are you making an impact in someone else's life? Where are you making 
a difference. Two weeks ago, I mentioned how we had a food distribution that was going on here at the church. And though we don't have 100 families here at the church, we, we served. We made a difference. We had made an impact in over 100 families by serving and distributing food to them. The cops were here. They were stopping individuals to come get free food. And then one of the cops' officers approached me and said, I love what you guys are doing here. I would love for you guys to have a greater impact. Would you guys mind going down to Oak Grove and distributing food out there? And, you know, I said, yeah, of course. And over this past week, God began to open doors for that to be done. So next week, we have an opportunity as a church to expand our borders and the impact that we're having here in this community. Where the food has already been um, donated to us, all we got to do is distribute it, love on the people there, tell them that God loves them, care for them, tell them that we love them, pray with them, let them know that God is here. Spend time with them. Everything has already been arranged. The officer said, don't worry, Pastor. I'll take care of all the paperwork. I'll take care of whatever needs to be taken care of. Just come and love on the people. So next Sunday, we set it up. After service, we'll have lunch. For everyone, as soon as we're done, 1.30, we'll head down to Oak Grove. I know you know where Oak Grove is because if I know it, you, you know it. Northeast 6? Northeast 6, I think. We'll go there together. But we have the opportunity to make a difference. How do you make a difference? Show someone you care. How do you impact someone's life? Show them you care. So what we're going to do is the food that was donated to us, we're going to give it out to them. Go to the next one. The next slide. Oh, you're behind. We're going to give cards out, letting people know God loves them. Why are you doing this? Just because. Just because. We find the fulfillment by serving. We are fulfilled by serving and caring for others. Don't go home, lay down in your bed. Pastor, we've been here all morning. How are you impacting a life by laying in the bed? I thank God that as small as the church we are, there are opportunities on top of opportunities on top of opportunities that are being presented to us to have an impact here in Miami. This is an honor. This is a privilege to spread the gospel, to show someone that God loves them. I think for many of us, we need to get outside of ourselves. It's not just about you. Where are you making a difference? How are you changing lives? Your life has been impacted by Christ. How are you sharing that? How?
how are you sharing that? We're looking for volunteers. We have my wife, Pastor Ratio. Please let them know we have different um, uh, positions that are available, that are open in terms of people serving on food, passing out cards, um, people who will have conversations. We'll only be out there from 2 to 4. We have food for 300 people. We don't even have 300 families here. Come on, church. We got to get excited. Someone didn't, eat, someone didn't eat that day. Someone's going to be starving. I'm telling you, God is opening up doors for us so we can have an impact, so that you can stop thinking about yourself and allow God to um, think for you, allow God to work for you, allow God to be God in your life. It's all opportunities for God to show himself in our lives. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we know that you're doing something great, something special here at Christ Community Church. For many of us, it's bigger than we've ever thought, bigger than we are even thinking right now. But Lord, with all these doors that you are opening, I pray, Lord, that we would take advantage. We would walk through those doors boldly to have more of an impact than just inside, within these four walls. But Father, what you're showing us is that you're expanding our borders. You're expanding our borders so that more people can know you. More people can make a difference. More people can find freedom. More people can discover their purpose. Father, you've called us towards this. It's nothing of our own doing. So we're just going to trust you and continue allowing you to hold our hands throughout the entire process, throughout the entire journey. I'm not sure if there's anyone here this morning who's never even taken the first step of knowing God. That's where it starts. It starts when you more than just a religion, a relationship. A relationship with a God that loves you. Continues to show and shower his love and his grace over you. He says, I want to pull you out from where you are. Because there's so much of me that I want you to find. So much of me I want to expose to you. So much of me that I want to pour out to you. If that's you this morning, were you like, Pastor? I want to give my life to this God that wants to be in relationship with me that desires that I know him more? If that's you this morning and you say, I want to know God, you could just lift your hands. We can pray with you. I want to know him. Amen. I want to know him. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that we have as a church to expose your truth, to expose your gospel, to expose the God that you are, the loving Father that you are in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our wretchedness, O oh God. You still sent your son Jesus to die on the cross knowing where we were, knowing how we would be, to expose how much you love us. Father, I thank you that in the midst of our sins, you exposed your love 
that we can grab hold of it to be able to embrace the relationship that you have and so deeply desire to give to us. Father, I pray, Lord, that this day will be a day that we would embrace your immense love for us. Embrace what you're doing right now. Embrace the change that you're allowing to happen right now. As we take the first step of knowing you, finding freedom, discovering our purpose, and making a difference. Father, we give you the glory, and we hold on to this as a promise that you have given to us in your word. In your name we pray. Amen. There's four things that we do. We want to keep it simple. Sunday morning, our weekend experience is an opportunity to know God, draw closer to God through worship and teaching of the word. We have life groups. Life groups is an opportunity for you to find freedom. Find freedom as a woman. Find freedom as a man. Find freedom in your marriage. Find freedom in your finances. That's why we do life group. Not to... Add something onto your schedule. No, but we desire, you de- we believe that you deserve the freedom that's available. That's why we have life groups. And third, our Next Steps class. Next Steps class will be next month in March, where we'll be holding, where we, there's a special teaching inside that helps us understand how to discover our purpose, our design. And next, it allows us to make a difference by being on the dream team. That's God's heart. That's God's desire that you join his team. You join his team in proclaiming the gospel, in preaching the word, however he has crafted you and designed for you to do so. It's not just preaching here in the pulpit. For some of us, it's serving out in the lobby. For some of us, it's in the schools. For some of us, it's at the banks. But you got to understand how you were designed and crafted for all of that. Keep it simple. We can experience life groups, next steps, dream team. Amen?